You are now in tune to a 726 Studio production. Yo, what's up? And welcome back to another episode of Planet Josh. This is the second attempt at this episode because the power outage messed us up last time. But today I have with me now eight-time pro champion throughout his career, um, fresh off his most recent victory at the age of 46. Yeah, that's that's what you heard, 46. <laughs> um, a Belizean legend, a living legend, the one and only Alex Carcamo. Welcome aboard, man. What's going on, man? Appreciate you having me. Oh, man, appreciate you taking the time out to reschedule despite, you know, all the disturbances we had, all the interruptions. No, it's all good. I, I know how Belize works, so it's good. <laughs> man, I'm telling you, it's, it's a struggle sometimes. But here we are. Um, First and foremost, once again, congrats on the most recent championship. Oh, uh, yeah, man, that was that was exciting. Like, I knew we were going to win, but, you know, to, like, finally see it you know like you you have it in your head all the time like i know we're gonna win you know let's just get it over with let's just get it over with and like to finally get that win it's like relief because the only way we would have lost is you know us pretty much yeah but we will dive into that a little bit later but first you know let, let's recap the whole journey of where you started up until where you ended it all off um, so you're a Belizean American, born to yeah. Belizean parents, born and raised in Los Angeles. Tell me, tell me more about that. What was it like growing up in LA? You know, I feel like your, your teenage years were through the '90s, right? And those were the more when LA was crazy and everything was what it was—the gang culture and everything. What the gang like? culture. I mean, I, I won't say that I had like I had it rough, but I was between the gangs. I was between the Bloods and I was between the Crips, okay. but I was in a safe environment. My parents, you know, they they looked out for me a lot. And uh, I don't know what it was, but sometimes gangsters, they see the potential and the talent and they don't let you go that route. And I feel like that's what, that's what happened with me. They started to see me like hooping and playing basketball so they always kept me away from their environment. Like, you know, walking down the street, they would like, what's up me or whatnot. Or if I had like the wrong colors on, like, you know, better young blood <laughs> type of thing. But, uh, you know, I never really, never really had any issues. I had more issues in high school in Culver city in an area where I wasn't supposed to have nothing. than you know, growing up over by Dorsey high school in the jungles and stuff. That's crazy. So, yeah, it's wild. But but I feel like that's the way it is with a lot of people. Once they see you have the potential to do something great and be and not have to be in that lifestyle, they, they won't try to drag you into it. Yeah, I never felt like they ever tried to drag me into that. And I was around it. Like, let me tell you, family members, everything. They just, oh, no, lucky. Or I was strong enough to understand that there's only one way out, you know, it's either dead or I'm going to jail. And I, I don't, I can't go to jail. It's not for me. <laughs> so with, with that said, what, what is a message you would like to give to like young Belizeans? Because I feel like, especially in Belize city, there's a lot of it. 
a lot of that culture and you know yeah. being surrounded by it they feel like that's the route they have to take so you know i feel like um first i want to say like i feel like belize basketball is on the on the map again in belize and i don't think they realize i don't know if it's government or you know the older folks in general that basketball keeps people out of trouble you know the um the nightlife after the basketball i don't think there were too many you know fights breaking out or whatnot you, you're having a good time and then you want to go have some more good time i think belize needs more things to keep the young kids uh minds attentive and not thinking about you know the the wrong side yeah that's true because like they always say you know an idle mind is the devil's workshop or, or whatever exactly it may be. and like i come from pg so more underdeveloped part of belize if you want to put it like that um there's not a there's not a lot that goes on here like literally nothing i feel like the more the most common thing you can come across is probably a bar to go and get drinks and he's like you know you don't want kids to get get too caught up in that at a very young age either so and that's exactly that's exactly what i'm saying like um I, I can go to the bars. I'm cool with that, but they need something else. They need some kind of excitement, like uh, miniature golf or bowling, something else. It can't just be go to a bar every single night and you know, man, I'm, you get tired of that. <laughs> I, I've been back, like, because I was studying in Taiwan, and so when I came back, like. All I've done is pretty much stay at home because it's like, okay, either you go out to a club or a bar or you do nothing. And I'm mm -hmm. one of the, I, I rather just not do anything than have to do that all the time. I mean, I don't even go out at all, but it is what it is. Yeah. So I think, you know, the message I would give to uh, young kids is be hungry okay. at whatever you want to do in life. Be hungry at it and try and strive to be the best that you could be the best person that you could be i tried to be the best alex carcamo i could be on the basketball court uh from the time i started until the time i finished i was probably the first one on the floor uh throughout this whole season and the last one on the floor throughout this whole season and uh, i went through a lot of aches and pains but i only know one way and that's just you know playing my heart out yeah that's for sure because i feel like a lot of times we have asked things way too much yes i and that's like a pet peeve of mine i cannot half ask certain things like i got mad at my teammates for half asking in practice because you know i fly in i'm all excited to play because you know from what I remember, and I'm pretty sure, you couldn't get 10 good players to scrimmage with. It was like you had your top five, yeah. and then everybody else was just, you know, trying to play. This Hurricanes team, man, you could have some of the best scrimmages with each other. I mean, it got heated in our practices <laughs> a lot. A lot of shit talking, and uh, but it was like fuel for us. Yeah, it's really hard to come by because I've been around the PG team, and I think it's a it's the same for a lot of teams throughout the country. It's like you your your team is basically top heavy if it is. Yeah, 
at best, you know. But yeah, um, back to back to you growing up in LA. When when did you really start to get into basketball? At what age would you say you started to play it? I want to say so. I started playing just in the backyard, probably when I was like ten, eleven, and then uh, I played like my first like real basketball game. I think when I was thirteen uh, at the Crenshaw YMCA. I'll never forget it. Like my first year I played, it was just like me trying to understand the game with people and not just me shooting in the backyard. And then my second year, I ended up winning a championship there. And uh, it was shocking at such a early age, you know, I'd win a championship and I went on to win a lot of. Yeah. I was just going to ask, what is with, what is it with you and championships? Like the two is like a, it's like a magnet. You just keep pulling them in. Man, you know, I feel like my high school years, I was cheated because I was trying to find a home. First, I went to Palisades High School, and that didn't work out. And then I ended up transferring to Hamilton. But in the transfer, I had to sit out a season. So I lost a year. Then I played my 11th and 12th grade there. And my 12th grade season, I was pretty injured throughout the whole season. I was wearing an air cast on my foot and still trying to play. So I just believe, you know, it's just trials and tribulations. Like when I'm healthy, I don't think I can lose. Like, I don't think that lo losing isn't in my vocabulary. I, I want to win a championship. Regardless, if you gave me a mediocre team, I'm going to find a way to get into the playoffs, I'm going to find a way to make some noise. Yeah. It's, it's, you just got to be a hundred percent well, close to it. That's, that's all I need. When I'm a hundred, there's no, there's no stopping me at that point. You know, um, I remember like this con, this confidence of yours is like through the roof. I remember when the, when you guys had the press conference before the season, I'm like, ah, mate. I'm wondering, is he getting a little bit, you know, too carried away or, or whatever it is? Cause you were like, you know, straight up, there is no team that can beat us. Um, this is going to be the best team Belize has ever seen, you know? Yeah. And I, I still don't think you guys were able to fully mesh to the full potential. That's just my point of view. So. I, I know a lot of people, uh, a lot of people think I, I talk a lot of shit and, uh, but this is what I tell them. I'm like, I might talk shit, but I do it a little bit differently. I tell you beforehand what's going to happen. You don't see me ever talking trash in the game. You don't ever see me talking trash after the game. So I'm like, I'm giving you fuel. I'm letting you know that our team was that stacked. We barely practice half the time and we were beating teams by 30 points. It's not that we were that good. It's just that the league needed to step up. And I yeah. really believe next season, everybody is going to step up because they've seen a team like this, like this team. And that's why I said I've played all over the world. This is the best team I've ever been on. There was no way. I was not going to win a championship. Yeah. Didn't, didn't matter. Like when we lost the game to San Pedro, we deserved to lose the game to San Pedro. We didn't practice the whole week. 
and this is a finals game. Yeah. I was mad at my team. Like, you don't understand. He did like ready to go home and just call it quits because of the way we didn't even approach a finals game. Like we just thought we're going to walk in and beat the team. Yeah. I remember, I think I saw you commenting on certain posts and you were like, yeah, this, you're glad this happened. You're glad you, you lost the game and, and stuff like that. Yeah. I was wishing that I, I had been wishing that we would lose beforehand uh, because we needed a wake up call. And once we lost, then we got more focus than what we did all season. Like practices were so competitive. Everybody was there 15 minutes before time. And in my head, I'm thinking like, why did it take us to lose to do this when this is your job at the end of the day? Should have been this like that what, from the start. From the start. Should have been like that from the start. But everybody was getting so like, you know, on their high horse because we were beating teams by 30 games were being over by the third quarter and there was no drive. There was no drive and I can understand it, but you got to drive yourself. That's for sure. Cause if you're looking for those, you know, those outside factors, they might not always be there. You got to find it from within. You've got to find that drive and Hey, you're, you're a, you're a testament to that. For sure. You, I mean, the one thing I can say is that they always respected me. And, you know, I, I could come off like a real asshole sometimes because I feel like when you're taking the craft for granted, like you shouldn't even be out here. And they knew how I felt about that. But, you know, I did a lot. I did so much more than just play basketball. I was coaching these guys one-on-one. -on -one. I was training them. Uh, I'm very particular in like certain things that I do. So I would show them counter moves just in case they tried in the game and maybe it didn't work. There's always counter moves that you can do. So they could tell you, like, I was very precise and particular in certain moves that I make and certain moves that I do. And I see that this league has been nothing but like run and gun. Like that's how that's how the BEBL was. That's how the NEBL was. It's just run and gun, and and that's the only reason why I could still play right now because I'm precise. I, it's like I put you in a matrix and make you go to my pace yeah. instead of me go to your pace. So when I catch the ball in my in the high post, and everybody knows I want it there. But you can't really stop me from getting the ball. You're only going to try and stop me. So when I have it there, I'm watching everybody wait for me to make a move. And my teammates knew to cut right away. Tyree was really good at reading me. Like, he started to understand, like, every time I penetrate, I'm actually looking to pass before I'm looking to shoot. Shooting is your last option. I mean, if I have a smaller guy on me, then I'm going to punish you. If I yeah, have a, sure. if I have a guy that I don't feel is uh, like capable of guarding me, then yeah. But because I had so much talent, I, I overpassed a lot. But I wanted to, I wanted it to be contagious more than just oh, me passing. You know, when they first brought me in, they're like, "We're going to need 20 points from you and all of this, more than 10 rebounds." And I'm like, listen, you don't need that from me. 
was like, you think you need that from me. All you need me to do is lead the team, and you'll see. Some games I had, what, five points, ten rebounds, <laughs> two assists, and then and I control the game just yeah. like that. It was just infectious. That's that's what I wanted to leave on the court. You know, I've always been a natural scorer. And I started to learn at a, at a, a later stage in life, if I'm that good of a natural scorer, that means I could try and get my team involved from first quarter and second quarter. And then if I can't get them involved, I could still do what I want to do. You know what I'm saying? A lot of superstars don't understand that. They think, I have to do this. I have to do this. Yeah, I got to go get mine. Yeah. I was big on uh, letting my teammates enjoy home games, and I would enjoy the away games because that's when you needed me the most. And uh, and I told uh, I told them when we went to Griga, that was one that I was waiting for because you know we started to accomplish everything, and I wanted to go to Griga and beat Griga because everybody said it couldn't be done, and it was so hard to play there, the atmosphere and everything. This is what I was used to, my whole career. I, I want hostile environment. I want people yelling at me, cursing you feed at off me. That. I feed off of that, like. That was one of my good games too in Griga, and that was without uh, that was without Harris and Frazier because Frazier was hurt and Harris wasn't playing good that night. So coach benched him, and it was just me and Tyree and uh, Nick. Like it was all the young kids, like you know, going in and battling in a hostile environment where we weren't supposed to lose. And I said. We'll probably win by 15 to 20 points. And nobody liked that. <laughs> nobody liked that. But you know what? Griga was the Griga was the second best team to me. They just didn't have the right coaching, I would say. I know I, I, I agree with you. It's honestly that's what I thought, because being from the South, I gotta go with the South. And some of their decision making was what caused them to get into the holes that they got into. For sure. Like, I believe, uh, like, the only reason why we were so much better than everybody else is because we actually were more talented, but we ran plays. We didn't run up and down like everybody else. If Grieger would have actually, like, ran plays for their big men, there's no telling how far they could have gotten. They should have definitely been in the finals, but, you know, the whole situation with that outcome. Yeah, that whole mess. But that was crazy. Grigor reminded me of that. What? What's the year? I forgot the year. But that game seven Rockets that just kept on shooting and shooting until they shot themselves all the way. Oh the yes, I know exactly where they had nothing but shooters. That had to have been about six, five or six years ago. Yeah, they were supposed yeah, to beat that Warriors team, but they just kept on shooting the ball. I, I so remember that. Yeah. And and this is exactly what I so this is exactly what I was saying about Griga. I told them, I said, they got more pressure. I told my team and everybody else, they got more pressure beating us than we have more pressure going in and beating them. Because in everybody's eyes, they think we're gonna lose this game. And I was like, there's no way we're gonna lose this game because they're gonna have a horrible shooting night. 
And everybody was like, how do you figure this? Like, they shoot the best out of the league. I was like, that's why. This is exactly the reason why. Because everybody is giving them the confidence, and they're going to come in so overconfident that they're going to play bad. And that's exactly what they did. And, well, the rest, the rest is history at this point. Got to wait till next yeah. season. I can't wait. I'm, I'm going to be – I'm definitely going to be watching. I feel like uh, Hurricanes really, like, up the ante with everything. Like, off-the-court stuff that the Hurricanes did just makes it so much more that players want to come and play. You know, first you have this beautiful gym, and then now you have these uh, VIP tickets where you're getting seated you know, by yourself. And it just seems like they're just going to come up with more stuff, maybe concession people walking down the aisle so you don't have to go up and get stuff. And I told them, I said, let me tell you something. I've been all around the world and I've played in third world countries. I was like, what you guys are doing, you're making it a supply and demand. You will be able to get good players for $1,000. Good players. And then you might be able to pay your locals even more because you're able to get a foreigner for that low kind of money. And now you could give, you know, your Belizeans what they rightfully deserve. That's true. And like, I've, I've said it since the start, I think the hurricanes, they by far have the best, they have the best brand. They have the best brand yeah. in the league. Um, I, I'd say in almost all sports in Belize, they have the best brand. I, I, well, personally, say I do not like the Hurricanes. Um, <laughs> it's one of those teams where you either love them or you hate them. Um, yeah, but I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you something. I completely understand. And I had a bunch of people come up to me and like, Alex, I really like you, but I don't like the Hurricanes. I'm like, listen, that's okay. You root for your team and you quietly root for me, you know, and don't <laughs> let people know. But uh, what I meant to say was, um, so every – Every country has that top-tier team. When I played in Israel, Maccabi Tel Aviv was the number one team in the world. They would spend, I kid you not, probably millions and millions of dollars on their team because they had it. And all the other teams didn't have it like that. But you know what I witnessed? I witnessed a team that probably spent... Maybe $200,000. And they beat this team that was spending millions and millions of dollars. You just have to find somebody that's hungry. I knew how, I knew how to beat the Hurricanes. If I was playing against them, I would know how to beat them. But I don't think a lot of people study the game the way I study the game. It was very easy to get under our skins, and it was very easy to set up a game plan. But a lot of people didn't realize that. There's not much game planning that happens in Belize, honestly. It's just like another day at the park. And this is, this is the biggest problem. But I also feel like because of this season, it opened a lot of eyes. I feel like coaches are going to coach different. They're going to come in early. They're going to set up plays. You know, they're going to try and get their gym together. That's the, that's the next thing. Like, no real 
no real foreigner wants to come and play on concrete. No one. I mean, no one. Like, I can't show a game tape to an agent if you're if you're playing on concrete. Nobody's gonna look at that. They're gonna think that this is a joke. Like, is this concrete? What is he playing on? And that, Nobody's and gonna. And that's why I was kind of glad that the uh, Tiger Sharks decided to have their home games at the Civic as well. I w- I was super happy about that. But not only that, I told them you guys played better at the Civic than you play in um at the you know in, in San Pedro because what they what they rely on is offensive rebounding. Obviously, they're probably one of the best offensive rebounding teams that Belize has ever seen. It's amazing. But that's what they rely on on the island. They're not great shooters. I watched their tapes plenty of times. They shot the ball better in the Civic than they did uh, on the island. So it was smart for them. And, you know, I talked to uh, I talked to Kyle and he was like, man, I was so happy that (laughs) we played in the gym because now he has great film to show, you know, uh, an agent. Yeah. And that was the biggest thing. Like, I know everybody is like, um, you know, BEBL and hurricanes and, and defenders and all this. For me, it was bigger than the BEBL. This is about like helping these guys learn the game. You know, I, I talked to, uh, I talked to um, Kelly on the floor. I talked to Woodson on the floor. I talked to um, Campbell on the floor. I'm like, why are you pump faking? Why wouldn't you just take a one dribble and pull up? Like sometimes you make pro moves when you don't need to make a pro move. Sometimes you don't even need to pump fake and you could go straight up. I was like, you're not even taking advantage of me. And you got this big size over me. Like, I'm trying to teach them to make the game more fun. I, yeah, I, I was I was all about, like, helping whoever it was out there. I didn't care about, like, uh, you know, them trying to be aggressive with me. I've, I've dealt with that all my life. So that didn't matter to me. I, I enjoy that type of basketball. I don't enjoy when the referees are blowing the whistle when they should just be letting us play. Well, um, now that you mentioned that, you know, I was going to say, like, since we're already deep diving into this season, (laughs) you know, you said referee. Um, What happened in game two of the season? Well, that was game two, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, you know what? I'm glad you're asking this because I really don't think people know what really happened. And that really that really pissed me off because the commissioner didn't give nothing all season long. It was a little frustrating and annoying at the same time. So let me tell you, if anybody remembers that game, the referees were blowing the whistle so much. And it was more in our favor than Tiger Shark's favor. And I told them, I said, listen, we don't need you guys' help to beat them. Like, if you remember that game, it was packed. The Civic yeah. was packed. And I feel like I feel like after that game, we lost a lot of people because the referees were controlling the game. And so I went to the ref after they were ready to kick Rico out. I walked over to Rico and I calmed him down because I was like, Rico, if you leave, it's bigger than just you. 
all of these people will not get their money back. And it was a lot of people, right? So Rico finally calmed down. I went over to the ref and I said, ref, if you're not letting the players play and you're not letting the coaches coach, then you're making the game about you, right? I said, Belize basketball is trying to come back. And you just keep blowing and blowing and blowing. All we're doing is going to the free throw line. If you wanted to give me a tech for that, no problem. Maybe I deserve it. I don't know. Didn't cuss them out. Didn't say anything. I went over and uh, just rewind. This all started from the beginning of the game. If you go watch that game again, they were worried about my undershirt. Okay. Now, it was blue, but it had a little gray strip. This is what I'm saying. I'm like, so I told him, I said, yo, you can't possibly be serious, dude. Like, you're showing me total disrespect for everything that I've done for the country. You're worried about a gray piece that I could flip under. You're worried about everybody's nails. Like, I played FIBA for so long, and they ain't never looked at my nails or this little strip of gray that was on my shirt. So it started off like that. Then they called a foul on me, and I wasn't even in the play. I was literally down the other side of the court. I still watched it. I sent the tape to um, to the commissioner and to the referees so they could see this. Okay, so now I tell the referees that, and we go back to our huddle, and all I see is him put both hands up, and he ejected me. I didn't even know I was ejected until they said, Alex, he just ejected you. As he passed by, he gave me this smirk. <laughs> and when he gave me that smirk, that was a sign of disrespect. And I don't tolerate disrespect. Yeah. Everybody knows that. My teammates know that. Anybody who knows me knows that. And I felt like the referee thought he was untouchable. And that's why he did that little smirk. And that's the reason why I charged him. It wasn't about you kicking me out the game, even though that was bullshit. It was the disrespect that you did to me as you walked past to say, like, I got you. Like if he had some kind of vendetta against me. And that was the biggest issue. See, everybody thought I charged him and I got kicked out. And then we were waiting for the report. He was supposed to report the next day. You know, we didn't get a report until that Thursday, the next Thursday. I kept on checking in with the commissioner and the officials because I wanted to know why I was kicked out. They told me I hung on the net and that got me my first technical. I said, I never hung on no net. What do you mean my first technical? Like, it was so much excuses, right? And at this point, I didn't even care about the season. It was the fact that you're disrespecting me. I was like, I don't like that. Because I have the utmost respect for anybody that's older than me. But if you're the same age as me, and you think just because you have a whistle in your hand, that makes you so much more powerful, at the end of the day, we have to see each other outside. 
And this was my biggest thing. And then they suspended me because I'm, they suspended me to two games. Then they suspended me another game because I made a comment on Facebook. I said, I still want the referee's head. Not like I really wanted his head. It's just a terminology. But anyway, they suspended me for that. And then they suspended me because he said, because he said that I cussed at him. So they suspended me four games. Okay. And pretty much what they wanted me to do was not play defenders, not play Griga, so they could have an opportunity to beat us. They beat us, right? And I told them, I said, I didn't play that game. So don't count it. But trust me, when we play you guys again, you will not beat us. And they didn't beat us. Both teams. Orange Walk. We smacked the orange walk. And I told them, I was like, we're going to beat you guys by 20 or more. I didn't <laughs> I didn't have respect for orange walk like that. I had super respect for Troy, Troy Gab okay. because of what he did for that organization. But I never, like, I never thought orange walk could beat us. There were just certain teams that I didn't, didn't really worry about. I didn't worry about defenders like everybody thought. I didn't so think that they were uh, – I didn't think that they could beat us because once Devin went down, they made it seem like it was all about Devin. Yeah, and, like, uh, every, everything they just went into a spiral. Like everything just they just lost it all. Yeah, and I mean I've been in that position before. They didn't put the right pieces around Nigel. Why? I I didn't agree with bringing in Branch, even though he wasn't a bad player. But you just brought another Nigel. Why would you do that? Why wouldn't you bring a a big that could play inside and then Nigel's a great slasher. So then you'll have it. I just feel like there were really good players this season. They were just on the wrong teams. I could I could have put a team together to beat us with the with the talent that was in Belize this season. Okay, now that you said that, now you gotta give give me a give me a couple names. A, a good team? Okay, yeah. I'll tell you a good team. Uh Woodson. Okay. Nigel, um, what's the cat from uh, Kyle? Um, which one, Gordon? Gordon, yeah. Either Gordon or I also like the one from Belmopan. He was lights out, Tony. Yeah, he was nice. And then um, you could give me. Well, see, I could only have two foreigners, right? You only so, have two of them, yeah. So N Nigel's a foreigner. And uh, uh, Woodson was a foreigner too. Okay, so give me Woodson, and then give me—I'd still take Nigel. Give me Nigel. Give me Campbell. Give me uh, Rashid Renault from Orange Walk. Give me. Uh, let me see. Let me see. Uh, I really like uh, I really like Kelly. I would take him on my bench. John? Yeah, yeah. I like John. Um, let me see. What are the other teams? Oh, I also like um, uh, Shaq. From he was in Punta Gorda at first, right? No. Shaquille. Is it Sha no. There's a he. He finished on Kyle. Oh, Shaba. The other Shaba. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shaba. Shaba. Yeah. Yes. Give me him. I could do some things with this team. I could do some things <laughs> with this team. I still could. I could still fill in with some people. But you give me those guys, 
and let me coach them, we would we would beat Hurricanes. I mean, those are some pretty good pieces. We we would definitely beat the Hurricanes. I I didn't go with all scores. I went with some role players because that's what a lot of people do, right? They go with nothing but scores, scores, scores. Now there's only one ball. Exactly. Where's your role players? This is this is the biggest thing. If you if anybody really watched us, our starting five up until I was in the starting five, we had terrible starts. Terrible starts. <laughs> like that was just our thing. Like we couldn't we didn't gel with that starting five. But we stuck with it because, you know, we won all the games. And me and Tyree would come off the bench, and that's when the games seemed to pick up and start. Yeah, because Tyree's an energizer bunny. You know? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> he he's was. All, and he's always on that hundred. He's like he's like Westbrook in a sense of when it comes to that energy. You're right about that. And I told him, I told him before the season started, after media day, I said, You're gonna be the X Factor. And he was like, Why do you say that? I was like, For so many reasons. We'll talk about it after the season. And sure enough, he had some big, huge game. He was a Serious X factor for us. Yeah, all the way like throughout the season, throughout the playoffs, especially in that game four, he was a part of that five man lineup that really turned the turned the game. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was exciting. I, I was proud. I was proud of our guys. You know, we were trying to go through the whole journey of your basketball career from all the way from young age to now. But you know what? I decided I just won't go through all of that. Um. For the people that want to know a more deep dive story of it all, um, I heard it on this podcast that you were on with this guy. Um, what's his name? Travis Reed. Travis Reed. Yeah. So if you guys want to find a more detailed edition of all that, you can guys, you guys can go check that out at the Athlete's Journey podcast, episode 54. But based off of what I heard there, I have some questions. So, um, Life is filled with trials and tribulations, man, and you have had your fair share of it. Um, yeah. While basketball is physical, it's also very mental. You've had your, you've had D one offers coming out of high school, but you had to push them aside to go, and ended up taking the JUCO route because of your dad's help. Um, yeah. What was that like during that time? Because, you know, while it's still, you see your dad, you want to be there for him. It still affects you because you're like, man, I got to push this aside. You're now in JUCO. You weren't even thinking about doing this. Um, what was that so, like? It, it was, uh, I didn't really know my potential, you know, even though I had the, the, um, the Penn State wanted me really bad and I signed with them, uh, I wanted to go to uh, Arizona State. You know, I had a letter uh, intent with them. I got disappointed, but it was it was more about my dad, man. Like, he's the reason why I got, you know, I picked up the ball and started playing. I mean, anybody who knows me in L.A. knows my dad was tied at the hip. He would take me to the parks playing against these older dudes, and he would sit there for hours and hours and hours. And it came, you know, it just came to that time where, you know, he was getting sick a lot. I had to put his clothes on for him, okay. socks, shoes, everything. It, it was tough. You know, I would have to wake up at 530 and I live 
10 minutes away from school <laughs> just to get him ready yeah. to get him ready for work and whatnot. He was still working, but he needed a lot of help, um, you know, getting to work. And when these, when these heart attacks started to hit, he really like slowed down. And, uh, I just stayed, I knew I was in good hands, uh, at the JUCO because, uh, they followed my career throughout high school. Okay. I just never thought I was going the JUCO route, but I think it might've been the best thing for me because I, I matured as a person, as a player and as a person, because coming out of high school, I just felt like I was the shit. You couldn't touch me. You couldn't stop me. And <laughs> I had a coach that really like brought me back down to size. And I think you need that. You know, sometimes people get on their high horse and you need to get kicked down, uh, to start to, you know, humble yourself. How, how hard was that for you? You know, cause when you're on that high horse, no one can't tell you shit. Yeah. Like, I've been on, I've been on this high horse a lot and I realized like now that's why I say when I, when I, when I talk shit, it's not so much that I'm talking shit. I'm trying to let you know that I know your game plan. So come up with something else. I, I study the game. I study my players. I study everything when it comes to this game. So like, uh, It was always tough, but the the best thing was, you know, that rectangle. The minute I stepped in there, it was like a whole nother world. Everything that was going on outside, I could I could just put to the side for that two hours or that hour and a half. And it's still like that till this day. Like I think it'll always be like that. It's my it's my medicine. Yeah, that's that's like therapy right there. It's therapeutic. It's, it's got to be like, you know, I, I get on that floor. I mean, I've gone through hell and back and uh, I still walk around with a smile and I'm still able to play. And I walked out. I, I didn't get any injuries, but my knee has been uh, giving me a lot of problems throughout the whole season. But I wanted to finish and I finished, you know, with no major uh, yeah. surgeries ever in my career. Uh, the biggest thing I had was probably a broken hand. A, a broken and, hand that the people got to know that you were still playing through. Yeah, in Philippines. <laughs> so I uh, I was playing in uh, Battlegrounds. It, it, it's a tournament in uh, L.A. outside. And it was for uh, $30,000. Okay. And we won the, we won the championship the year before. And this was a championship game. And my dumb self took a charge. I don't know what I was thinking, but, and it was my boy too. Like my, my good boy, he didn't do it on purpose, but he, he charged me and I put my hand in front and I didn't realize it was broken until like I went down the next play and I took a shot and my hand just went straight down. I was like, whoa. I was, I was like, I think it's broken. I don't know what broken feels like, but I was like, I think this hand is broken. And I went to the doctor and I had just signed a contract with Philippines for like uh, 90,000. And uh, I couldn't pass that up. I, I went to uh, therapy. I asked the doctor to make an invisible cast for me. 
And uh, anytime I was around the teammates, I would take it off. And then when I was in the game, I would put it on. And then one day I fell on it and uh, they wanted me to go do x-rays. And when they did the x-rays, they're like, it looks like your hand's been broken for uh, about a month and a half now. And I was like, damn, you see all of that? And I was like, yeah, it was broken. I was like, but you know what? It's starting to heal. You know, if you, and I was averaging about 17 and like 12. I was like, if you let this heal, I was like, I will destroy this league. I already saw like what I was going up against and how everybody was playing and how I knew I could play. And they told me, they're like, man, we really like you, but to give you another like two weeks, we play three games a week. Yeah. That's that's six games right there. Yeah. And they were like, this could really like make or break us. So they were like, uh, we're going to have a meeting and talk about it. And then they came back and decided, you know what, we got to send you home. And I was like, you know what? I'm not even mad. It's first time I ever been sent home, but it's not because of my skill. It's because of, you know, injury. And then I healed and I went to Israel and I won a championship that year. It was crazy. (laughs) Same year. You know, my, my girlfriend was murdered and, uh, that was, that was like, that was a hit for me. Cause I felt like that might've been my wife, you know, my, my soon to be wife, but that was, uh, that was wild. But then again, that, that rectangle, it was just, it was medicine. So like when you, when you step in there, everything just seems to. Yeah, I went to I went to her funeral and I didn't have the, you know, the the peace that I I wanted because I had TV around me and everything cuz we were starting the playoffs. And uh everybody was like, "How can you focus after doing this?" And I was just like, "It's easy. I <laughs> I've been through so much in life. It's easy." And I stepped on that court and I balled out and they were like, how? And I was just like, you would have to walk in my shoes to understand, you know, what I've gone through. And uh, after we won the championship, that's when I like broke down and got on my knees and cried and just like let it all out because, you know, I didn't get a chance to like, you know, weep for her. So it was basketball has saved me from so much. Man, that's that's heavy because I don't know. For me, if someone that close, it's hard to concentrate on anything else. But at the same time, you know, if you have something to occupy your mind and just forget about it just for that time. And, you You know, I've gone through I've gone through so much uh, death in my life not from like gang violence it's because my dad was older right so all my aunts and uncles they're all gone like they they were a lot older so i've gone through so much death that it kind of became immune like i kind of became immune to it like the funerals and everything i just realized that time is always gonna heal everything and I guess I live by that at this point now, like time just fixes, time fixes and heals. And uh, I knew that there would 
come a time where I was going to break down because I, I held it in for so long, but it just happened at the right moment. You know, winning that championship was huge. And I think that was my, that was like my third championship at that time. So it wasn't like a first, it was just, you know, I won the championship. I, I left my trophy at the graveyard. I left my shoes at the graveyard. Uh, I left everything. I don't know if it's still there or not, if somebody would have stole it. I mean, over in Europe, they give you this uh, gold plate. Okay. I don't know if it's real gold or not, but maybe somebody might have took it. But, you know, I did what I needed to do at that time. Yeah, you finished your job. Yeah. So, you know, it's crazy that you've been to, I was listening, you've been to Portugal, which is where you started it all. Um, yeah, you've been to China. You played against the likes of like Yao Ming, Yao Ming, Wang Zhu, Baitir, all these guys that um, were in NBA. Korea, Israel, Argentina, the Philippines, um, Chile. You've been all over, and yeah. for some time now, you've been one of the faces of the national team. Um, but we just haven't seemed to. Be updated. We they, like they don't let you know what's going on with these guys. Like, yeah, we have a lot of Belizean Americans, right? Which I get, but you're yeah. not just another Belizean American. You know, you're this guy that has been a key part of different gold medal teams or silver medal, or just the point of getting a medal, getting something, right? Yeah. And they don't, and they don't keep us posted on what's going on. You know, it, it's kind of sad. You know what it is, so. I always felt like I was before my time. You know, I was that Scottie Pippen uh, type player that everybody said, right? During the time when I was trying to make the NBA, uh, they weren't looking for a third score. They were looking for role players. But some years later, everybody was looking for that James Harden type. Okay. And that's where I would have fit in. So in that situation that you're talking about, yeah, I feel like, um, you know, they didn't acknowledge me the way I should have been acknowledged because people knew me young and people knew me old. People don't know my journey and people don't know how good I really was in my prime. But we could say the same for a puller, right? Yeah. I don't really know anything about puller besides i know puller i don't know nothing about his basketball no that's a, until you just know that he is puller that's about he's it. the number one player ever in like that's how everybody says it i yeah. have when i heard his attribute when they were um honoring him and making him the logo that was the first time i ever heard his statistics and it was crazy right so as much shit as i give richie and Merte and Keith and Barris Ford. Yeah. They're the ones that are going to start acknowledging this stuff. And that is going to be okay. Before there was, uh, before there was TV basketball, high school basketball, you only read about me in the newspapers. And then some years later, it became, oh, I want to see this TV game. I want to see LeBron. I want to see these guys, right? I'm just I'm just some years behind. That's all. I, I'm pretty sure now there'll be a lot of Belizeans that get um, notary 
for the stuff that they're doing uh, overseas. Man, I really hope so. The one thing I can say that a lot of people probably don't realize is I was the first I was the first Belizean to represent out of any other country with the Belize flag on my forehead. And I was the first Belizean that they finally did the hyphen Belizean American. This is before Milt. This is before Marlon Garnett. I used to always tell him, like, yo, respect me. I'm a Belizean American. And then they started to put that hyphen there, and it wasn't just American. And, you know, I I took pride in everywhere I went, you know, letting them know I'm a Belizean, yeah. You, you don't know where Belize is, I get it, but you're going to know exactly who I am and my name. And all through L.A., everybody knows who Alex Carcamola is. I mean, well, I throughout the basketball community. Yeah, I've been on video games. I've been on so much stuff that so many people have no idea about. Yeah, you right? know, and and I saw it. I think it was Mr. Glenn's writing. He mentioned the uh, Globetrotters. Yeah, I play with the Globetrotters. I I actually left them because it it was too strict. I don't think people understand how strict the Globetrotters are. Like. I couldn't eat McDonald's because they were sponsored by Burger King. I couldn't wear certain types of socks. They would fine you for every little thing. And I was just like, yo, this isn't basketball. <laughs> this is a show and I want to play basketball. Yeah. I, I loved it because they loved me. They loved my, my, uh, my behavior. They wanted to put me in the show. They felt like I could have went a long way. And maybe I could have. I just felt like it wasn't my journey. Uh, my teammate ended up being, um, he ended up being the show for so many years before retiring, uh, Kevin Daly. And he's Panamanian, actually. He's, okay. he, played in, he played in Panama on the national team for a lot of years. But he was the one. We both came in at the same time, and he stuck with it, and he became like the head of the show. But that's all I'm saying, man. Like, we have all these guys that have done whatever it is. And I feel like in Belize, we're one of one of the few smaller countries that we just have something against um, the Belizeans born outside of the country. We just have something against. Yeah, we, we definitely do. And I think from 1998, I've been addressing this like I hate the term. I hate Belizean American like. I'm a Belizean. I, I walk these streets just like you throughout all my life. Before I first came to uh, to play with the national team, from the time I was three, four, five, I've been to the Keys. I've done everything, like play with hermit crabs, pull their heads out. Like I used to do this stuff on the streets. I walk barefooted just like everybody else. So I take offense to Belizean American, especially the way they use it in there. Like, why don't we use more of our locals? Yeah. Like, like the, it, it eats me. Like, like with the, especially when it comes to the national team, it's like, oh, we want people born here. And I'm like, when you look at a lot of countries, take the Philippines, for example, they, they, they're always looking for someone to naturalize 
someone that doesn't sure. that someone that doesn't even have Filipino heritage, nothing like that. They just want to upgrade the team, and we have a problem with with guys who actually have a connection to the country. You, you know what's so funny is uh, I just saw I literally took a screenshot of Canada's national team. Okay, it's nothing but NBA players. Yeah. You think they're worried about their college athletes or players that are overseas and whatnot? Nah, no. they're going for their best talent. If you're not the best, then you don't deserve to be out there. You know, when we went to Nicaragua, and people could say what they want, I know the facts. If I wasn't there, we wouldn't have placed at all. We were not in no kind of position to be a national team. We wouldn't even have won in the BEBL with the team that we put together. Like, it was really bad. It was so many first-time people. Okay. But you're bringing them first time in their 20s or late 20s. You, could, you can't do that. What they're doing now with the U-17, I can't wait to see. I'm, I'm excited to see what's going to happen because – I already know how we are as people. If that team fails, everybody's going to be like, oh, so oh, use all local guys. Yeah, that's what they're going to say. <laughs> and if we lose, if we use all local guys, we're going to get blasted. We're not in a position yet. I don't see any hungry players. I reached out to four or five players during the playoffs to come work out with this. Okay. And not one of them showed up. It was always an excuse. And these are all guys that aren't in the playoffs, right? I'm guessing. Yeah, these were locals and that I saw talent in. Okay. And I I wanted them. And uh, nobody showed up. And I was like, if you don't want it, then I can't make you want it. And But this is what I see. Like, everybody, there's no, like, real... I, you know, I've driven uh, all over Belize at nighttime. I've never once like seen somebody outside shooting or just working out, you know, late night just to see like where th- that's the hunger that I'm looking for. While everybody's asleep, I'm working. That's how it always was for me. I'm the first one in. I'm the last one out. I'm in the gym three hours before we're about to play games. I'm working out. I'm working out. I used to work out with a weight vest my whole career, a 10-pound weight vest. People used to think I was crazy. I was like, I'm trying to be better than myself. I'm not trying to be better than y'all. I'm trying to be better than myself. I was just challenging myself throughout these years. I think it, it comes up, it, it goes with the fact that when you come from the States, you guys have a way higher level of competition in terms of just the amount of people that want to make it. So yeah. You know, you got to work. But in Belize, you can kind of coast a little bit and still be successful locally. And mm-hmm. so, so, so they get very comfortable with that. And that, and then, then we have what we have now. But you see that, and that's the thing, they're comfortable locally. But you could actually, like, it's so much, I won't say easier, but you have so much more potential 
to leave Belize and go play somewhere than you did years ago. That's for sure. So they should find that hunger and be like, you know what? I don't want to be here anymore. I want to go play here. Like there's opportunities that are about to come up that I'm about to make happen. I don't want to talk about it just yet because I'm waiting to see if uh, hurricanes will get on board with me. But it's about playing in another country for a couple of months and then having them come down to it and play with us. It's just getting that exposure that I'm trying to bring to Belize. It should be, should be exciting. I'm waiting to see, you know, I'm not going to play anymore and I'm only going to put my hands on things that I want to put my hands on. I don't want to coach. It's not my passion. Uh, I love watching the game. I love scouting, but I don't want to travel. <laughs> so you just, you're stuck with, you send me videotapes and I'll scout from here and I can tell you, you know, everything about the player. But uh, I'm just at this point in my life now, I don't want to miss any time with my kids anymore. Yeah. That's what it's about. But what I'm, what I'm hearing is you're basically, you're, your mark in Belize basketball is not done yet. Your work in Belize basketball is not done as yet. Yeah. No, it's not done. My work? No. Because uh, I've thought about getting a franchise. Okay. Uh, a lot of things are running through my head after seeing uh, what the Hurricanes did. They opened my eyes to something. And uh, I feel like I could get backing just like them. I feel like I would pay my locals way more than they pay their locals. Okay. <laughs> so I know I could pretty much get whoever I want on my squad. And, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see what's going to happen. Going to see how this next season goes and see if anybody steps up. And then you might you might see a franchise. Okay, I'll be, I'll be on the lookout. I'll be on the lookout from afar. <laughs> but man, hey, I'm looking forward to seeing what what's gonna happen. Um, because you you come with so much knowledge, like you said, you're not gonna be there physically, right? But yeah, there's a lot you can share. We're we're blessed to have technology now that you're able to just basically be there without being there. Um, yeah. And that, now that I mentioned technology, man, this this episode is a little bit all over the place, but it's okay. Um. <laughs> How how was it playing abroad? Because, you know, playing overseas, it, it can be challenging being away from home for some people, being away from their families. And, and oh, during, yeah. during the majority of your career, social media had just started to come up after some years. It wasn't what it is now. How, how did you manage all of that? Man, it was rough. Uh, Portugal... Portugal was my first time out, so it was like um, nobody. I couldn't talk to anybody because we didn't even have like what AOL back then. We didn't have nothing. Uh, China was probably the roughest because uh, all those restrictions. Mosquitoes used to eat me alive, oh. <laughs> and uh, and I I would never sleep. I would never sleep because the time difference, I was trying to stay up and talk to friends on like 
AOL and, and whatnot, right? And then I would go to practice and then come back, and that's when I would sleep, like, during the day. Then at the nighttime, nighttime was, like, party time for me. I just – that was the only thing I had. You know, we didn't have WhatsApp and all of this stuff that you could, like, do the call. It was, like, you had to, you know, be there at a certain time or whatnot. And then the language barrier – was so hard in China. I had a translator. I never wanted to go anywhere. The Chinese, I don't care what nobody say, they have terrible hygiene, man. Like, that's no place to take a woman at all. I could never see me uh, bringing a girl there ever. And I stayed there for three years, and then I just got fed up. I just got tired. I was losing weight. I would eat Kentucky and McDonald's every single day, like two times a day. Uh, American Chinese food is nothing like Chinese Chinese food. And then uh, my wake up call was Israel. Dude, Israel was like hidden paradise. Okay. The language barrier, everybody spoke English. The nightlife was insane. And they had some of the most beautiful women I had ever seen. And they were so aggressive. <laughs> the women were so <laughs> aggressive. I, and coming from L.A., it was just like, wow, I had never seen nothing like this. And uh, and then I, I was there for, what, six years? I was I was probably there a little bit more because uh, I ended up marrying an Israeli. Okay. Uh, so it became like home. And then... Uh, all the Spanish-speaking countries, you know, I, I learned to speak Spanish while I was over there. So that was kind of easy. Uh, I could always get by. And then after a while, you know, they used to interview me in, in English. And then after a while, they just started interviewing me in Spanish. Like, they're like, no, nah, you've been here too long. You don't have to start speaking <laughs> it now. Like, but, yeah, it's tough, man. It's not uh, – Overseas is not for the weak, especially if you see. I I I never had like a, a boys' crew, a big, huge boys' crew, or a crowd like that. So yeah. I was always like kind of kept to myself, and I used to travel with a pack of girls. So it was a little easier for me. But I see how people could get homesick, and you know they couldn't do it. And then you think like. You think that you're good until you until you get put into a system, and then you realize, damn, I can't play like this. So now basketball isn't fun anymore. You're not around your friends. Now you want to go home. So it's it gets tough. It's definitely. Uh, but then you def- want to go home, but then at the same time you gotta, you know, you have a contract, and at the same time you don't want to, you know, ruin future opportunities and. But the, th- but the thing is, if you're playing bad, they're going to send you home okay. with the quickness. With the and quickness, it- they're going to send you home. I've seen so many players get sent home throughout my career. And like I said, I, I was blessed. To- I never – I had one team in Argentina. They were ready to send me home. And uh, I came in with the intentions that this is a championship team. They didn't need all of this from me. They didn't need me to do all the scoring or anything. And uh, and my team just was like 
disappointment. Like, it was like they didn't win a championship. And I was like, oh, man. And so the, the management, they're like, I was thinking about, you know, going a different route or whatnot. And I was like, why? Like, am I not healthy or something? They're like, we're used to you putting up, like, crazy points. That's the reason why we got you. I was like, nobody told me that. I was like, I'm looking at a championship squad. I'm thinking I'm going to come in and play a role. I was like, if you need me to score, that's not a problem. I could do that with ease. I was like, give me one game. And uh, they were like, okay. They let me stay. And I think I had like 35 and 17. And they're like, oh, okay, you still have it. I was like, I always had it. I just didn't think <laughs> I needed to like but, use it. But one thing I can say, I feel like when you're overseas – the fans and whoever they can switch, they gonna switch up on you like that. Oh, in a heartbeat. Like, like I've seen it because I was studying in Taiwan. And so I, I got to meet, I became cool. I got really close with oh, Chuck, you know, Chuck Garcia. Garcia. Yeah. Yeah. That's my guy on like, I remember they got new imports and they just weren't playing him as much. Yeah, and, and so people started to forget, like, oh, he doesn't have it anymore. But like, you guys aren't even allowing him to to show that, and and like, that's how quick today they love you, and tomorrow it's like, oh man, onto the next shiny toy. Yeah, that's that's exactly how, that's why I say like when I say blessed, like to go through so many teams and play a full season and win these championships, it's been just a a huge blessing. Like, I don't know. I don't know any other way to like put that. And you know, I'm not. A, I'm not a big uh, uh, church going person or anything like that. I believe that there's something, yeah. and I live for me. I don't live for you know other things. So. However, I'm blessed, or why I've been blessed, I just thank whoever I'm supposed to be thanking. Yeah, well, man, I got to say, being able to talk to you has been a privilege. Um, being able to, you know, through the others, through the other podcasts, get to know a little bit more of the story because growing up, like I said, the first Caricom when it was like I was like one, so yeah. I, I wouldn't have known anything about that. And then um, I really started to hear about it back in 09 when they had the Cocaba in Mexico, the silver medal. In Mexico, yeah. And then, like, you know, you, like, the faces I'd always put to the national team were, like, you, Milt. Um, even at one point, I thought Richie was a an American because they used to start to paint this picture that, oh, everyone on the team is an American. So I used to think that Richie was an American, too. But, like, you, you guys were the guys that I associated with the national team. And so... Yeah. I grew up loving Kobe Bryant, but, you know, you still got to have the locals that you look up to like, oh, man, these are the guys that are that person for us here in Belize. So pre thank you for, you know, all the work you've done for the national team over the years, all you've done for Belize, all you plan to do for the country as well. So, you know, you mentioned Kobe. A lot of people don't know. I worked out with Kobe for one full week. That was when basketball completely changed for me and I started to see the game different because he was almost like a machine. His IQ for basketball was off the Richter scale. He, uh, we, would, we would do weightlifting at 5, 6 in the morning. 
And then we would go to the gym and do some light work and calisthenics. And then we would play at UCLA or Mar Vista uh, from, I want to say, two to about five. Okay. And then we would eat and then we would go back in the gym. And then he wanted to make 20 shots of all the shots that he missed. And he memorized all of his shots. That guy was, and, he was not human, man. That's, that's, that's the way it sounds. <laughs> he would like, he made me see the game differently. And this is why I can, I can play the game. And I remember everything. I remember everything. Like when, when they're like, what, what happened here? I could tell you exactly. Yeah. This happened here. I remember it. Yeah. You don't have I remember to go back all to my, tape. I remember all my points. I remember all my rebounds. Uh, my assist. That's why when I see it, I'm like, nah, I had more than that, but it's okay. Whatever. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a problem the league has to fix. Yeah. But in due time, you know, yeah, I feel like this is, uh, coming out of COVID and having this successful season, even with all the drama, yeah, it was still success. And, uh, tiger sharks, played their ass off like <laughs> they surprised me i will say that they definitely surprised me and I think, uh, I think they'll be back with with some more because you can't sleep on them oh no rico is definitely you know i've known rico for years that's why going into the series i was already three steps ahead of rico and buff because i know how they think i know what they were thinking i knew how many defensive schemes they were gonna throw at us uh, I knew once I got them to focus on me that the series was over. Yeah, well, man, the IQ, we, we got to keep that IQ, that brain of yours around Belize basketball for as long as we possibly can. Man, I appreciate I appreciate the time, you know. Uh, I, I enjoyed this. This was definitely um, just a surreal season. Like, to say the least, it was just surreal. And, you know, getting all this acknowledgement again after so long, you only dream about this stuff, you know? <laughs> you dream about this at this age. So, you know, when little kids were coming up to me and like, Karkamo, man, you're so smooth. I didn't even know you were on the Hurricanes. Like, <laughs> and it's like you notice these things. That's pretty dope. Like, so now I have the the older crowd and I have the younger generation and I know like uh I know like they'll still be talking about me in years to come cuz once we get that next mid-range specialist my name will always have to come up with that. Yeah, it's going to be like Alex. It's going to be like yeah, that's that's the way Alex was back in the day. Yeah, exactly. Stuff, yeah. Yeah. And I love the nickname Father Prime like that's just <laughs> I was eating that up. I was like, whoever came up with that, I love it. Like, I'll take it all day long. Yeah. And well, man, like, thank you for taking the time out to be here. It was a pleasure having you. Um, Like I said, it was hard to get really everything into one episode because it's a long career, really yeah. long career. So it's not something that the average person gets to go through for so long, all the way up to the age of 46. So thank you for taking the time out. Um, any last words you want to say before we? Uh, I would just say, you know, 
Well, Lee's basketball is on the up and up. I think it's going to be exciting, uh, you know, here on out. Uh, everybody's going to need to step up their game to the locals. Get hungry. Just remember, uh, while while your friends are sleeping, that's when you're supposed to get better. Hey, guys. So, unfortunately, um, with me having the free Zoom, it cut us off right there at the end. So, I'm going to just wrap things up here by myself. Um, thank you guys for listening to this episode. If you want to stay tuned on everything that's going on with the podcast here, you can follow me on Instagram at underscore planet Josh underscore or hit me up on Twitter at J underscore mama 97. I will be placing the links in the description to make it easier for you guys to find these accounts. And well, you know, thank you for taking the time out to listen to this episode. Once again, it was a pleasure having Alex on as a guest. And until next time, you guys stay safe, stay blessed. Peace.